Welcome to Sacred Realms. It's a great day in Hyrule, y'all. Welcome to Sacred Realms, a Zelda retrospective podcast. I'm your host, Lyndon Willoughby, and I am joined, as always, by my co-host, Matt Willoughby, who, for the first time in the history of Sacred Realms, a Zelda retrospective podcast, is not recording in the same room as me when we're on an episode together. He has he has been in, I, I think there are two episodes that you have just straight not been in before. Uh, but any episode that you have been on, we've always been in the same room. That is not the case today. That is correct. Uh, we are quarantining away from each other because you have a sick child, and I recently got over a very nasty stomach bug, and uh, so we're taking a little bit of time apart. But well, regardless of those two things, the show must go on. The show must go on, and Matthew has actually had a, like all the necessary equipment to do this from his apartment the entire time we've been doing it, and we just kind of enjoyed doing it in the same room so much that we've never tried it before, but we're uh, trying it now, and it seems to be working just fine. Also, yeah, definitely, I, we, we both dodged separate bullets, right? Because like, so we had a little, um, a little close friends Thanksgiving thing last week, and uh, the stomach bug is going around a lot of the people who were there one of the toddlers who was present brought it as uh, toddlers tend to do and uh so matt you they got are that. lovable little germ factories but germ factories nonetheless they are so matt you got that stomach bug uh colleen and i did not get the same stomach bug that everybody else got but our own offspring was kind enough to bring a nice little head cold back from daycare which uh you know, so we've got we've got that going on on our end, which you you did not get. So at least none of us are not. none of us are doubling up on the child sicknesses. Yeah, no, that would be unfortunate. Yeah, it's um, it's it's an interesting experience recording through our uh, our ZenCaster platform, uh, and I actually like am using it instead of just like bumming off of a headphone splitter with you and then also using my own mic. It's odd, but you know. It's yeah. good. I so, do. I do miss seeing you, Lyndon. I do. I just. I miss hanging out. I'm gonna see you tomorrow. It's gonna be great. That's true. Um, so if the audio sounds just a little bit different tonight, that is why Matt is in a different place recording into a different software. I have a slight head cold. Um, I poured myself a healthy dose of a nice 123 proof rye whiskey that I have on the shelf. So that is in its uh, it, it's in the process of burrowing a tunnel through my uh, sinus blockage at the moment. So <laughs> we'll see if that works. But anywho, if we sound different, that's why. But of course, it's not just us on the podcast tonight. We are thrilled to welcome back uh four time five time returning guest he's been on the podcast quite a lot before now we enjoy having him every time because he knows so much more than we do ladies and gentlemen max nichols of bungie hello hello i'm back thanks for having me yet again uh i love link to the past so i'm really excited to talk about this one um and i feel yeah. like I mean, like aside from Link's Awakening, which I think you have professed as being your your personal favorite Zelda game, or at least like very close to the top. Um, generally speaking, is it fair to say that you have got a lot of love for these games the further that they go back in time? Uh, yeah, pretty much. Uh, <laughs> between Link to the Past and, you know, The Wind Waker, that's my favorite chunk of the series, basically. Um 
I don't particularly have a lot of love or nostalgia for the NES ones. Uh, I came a little late to those. Uh, but uh, but Link to the Past, definitely uh, a nostalgic journey gotcha. for me. <laughs> yeah, um, definitely. I think so. Of the people that we've had on the show so far this season, um, which is, of course, you and then Cody, and then we recorded a bonus episode with the guys at uh, Hyrule Podcasters. Generally speaking, we've had kind of like a fair mixture, I would say, of people who are nostalgic heavily for this era, 16-bit top-down, and then people who hopped on closer to where Matt and I did with uh, Ocarina of Time or Majora's Mask, Wind Waker, stuff like that. So I know Cody definitely i think identifies a, a little bit more with the 3d um exploration zelda games yeah uh so and that's just such a fun perspective seeing like getting all those different answers because they are all different everyone loves their where, where they started uh i don't know if i've mentioned this in the podcast i once did a survey of like seven thousand zelda fans um through zelda universe and uh, zelda dungeon and a couple other zelda fan sites that kind of helped me get survey participants and like I, I i like examined all the data and like there was, i asked people like well you know how, how much do you f- love this game or this game what are your favorites and rank them all and the people very 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 consistently ranked the game they started with much higher than it otherwise was average ranked um so a it's very a real interesting, thing. Yeah, no, for sure. A very interesting thing did happen, though. So the bonus episode that I'm talking about with Hyrule Podcasters, the topic of the episode was, do we recommend that a new... Uh, uh, so a casual gamer who is new to the Zelda series wants to start their first Zelda game for the first time. Do we recommend they start with a top-down or a 3D? That was the main topic of the podcast. And uh, the final verdict ended up being... Um, like I, I think we felt that there were some good places to start in either top down or 3D, but the consensus ended up being that if there was one singular game that we recommend somebody who's never played Zelda before to start with right now, what's the good one for them to 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 do right this very moment? Uh, the group consensus that Matt even came around on in the end was the remaster of Link's Awakening on the Switch. Yep. <laughs> uh yeah, it's a pretty good start. Like, there's so many variables. Like, my, my real answer is it depends. Like, what, what, how big of like a gamer are they? Are they used to moving a camera in 3D space? Like, do they like open world games and their normal game taste? Like, that's the sort of stuff I would normally ask that would inform which recommendation I gave them. Yeah. Uh, but if I had to pick one that was like just on average a good choice, the Link's Awakening remaster um, and Breath of the Wild would probably be, would be one of those two, basically, for me. Yeah. Breath of the Wild was our dark horse. I think where we landed with that one was that we recommend Breath of the Wild to like anybody at any time. But if you've never played another Zelda and you play Breath of the Wild first, then you're kind of like biasing yourself against what the remainder of all the other Zeldas that have ever been created are in some ways, you know? Yeah. Over the, what is it, 35 years of the, the franchise history, like yeah. the number of things that have been like the same in every Zelda game are pretty small. Like the difference, the differences in experience are are dramatic over the years. They are. Um, depending on which game you play. Yeah. And I think, I think, uh, so we kind of tried to define this hypothetical gamer as much as we can. And I think the consensus ended up being like, this is a person who has played, you know, Mario Kart, Mario Party, maybe a little Call of Duty and some Marios back in the day, you know? You know, I said Breath of the Wild, but I might actually say Wind Waker. 
Well, and, and so I understand why you would say that, but availability was also a concern. And Wind Waker yeah. is currently not uh, really very hard that. to get a hold of. That is fair. Yeah, you can't really play that right now, <laughs> especially yeah. not the for the better version. I mean, I, I would argue it's the worst version, but uh, the the, the remake, the game, the uh, you think the Wii U um, version is the worst version? So. I hate how they changed the art style. This is totally tangent right now, but I hate how they changed the art style in the Wii U remake, uh, the HD remake of Wind Waker, because they had really? flat lighting in all in all the visuals on the GameCube. Mm-hmm. Like it was like it looked like art, like cells you would see in old animation, where it's a single color filling an entire cell. That's why it was called cell shading. Yeah, uh, and then in the remake, they added all this like this lighting over it all, where there was color gradients because of the lighting. Um, and it made it look like plastic to me. Like, mm. I feel like the original has so much more life to it than the remake. Uh, I've gotten into many internet arguments about this. People don't always agree with me, but <laughs> I, I tend to overanalyze art style in Zelda games. And I did notice the difference. I don't want to say that I necessarily prefer it one way or the other, but I also, I'd never played Wind Waker when it came out. I got a GameCube in college and played through most of it and then bounced off of it. Um, I I got it was like finals season or I had a big project or something and I was in the middle of the Triforce fetch quest in its original form, you know, and Uh so, yeah. And so that just like knocked me straight off of my playthrough. And then by the time I thought to get back around to it, the Wii U version had been announced and I was just like, well, guess I'll just do that <laughs> so yeah. yeah yeah the the original art director for wind waker uh satoru takizawa um also spearheaded the art for the remake and he thinks the remake is closer to the original vision so or he has said as much in interviews at least well i guess uh, he would know so i mean he's the authoritative figure here <laughs> have you ever seen the uh screen grabs of people who um are this is this is no uh this is no outright support of emulation or or modding um but people who are emulating breath of the wild and dump mods on it and they remove the cell shading from the geometry yes i've seen some of these screen grabs i always kind of shake my head i'm like why do you do this no yeah Uh, it's not (laughs) like it doesn't look good i mean breath of the wild's art style is a masterpiece so I, it, like it's not like you're improving on anything, but I do just think it's fascinating um, from like a m- mechanical perspective, I guess, just like seeing the underlying geometry with base colors. There's like there's always this interesting fun of exploring the same topic from different angles or perspectives um, and a new art style totally does that. So it's kind of cool just from like a novelty perspective. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Well, regardless, Max, uh, seriously, it's we're 10 minutes in. We've had several tangents. They have all been highly technical. That's why we have you on. We live <laughs> for this kind of stuff. So uh, we're very grateful that you uh, agreed to come back on and not for the only time this season. You will be back later on. So that's going to be fun. Can't wait to do that um, with a with a guest, actually, with a co-host. If everything pans out the way that we're trying to line oh, it up. Right. I forgot. So, I'm really excited for that. Yeah, as as are we, honestly, that may even like spin out into like a two hour episode. And if it does, we're just going to like let it roll. But, <laughs> you know, it sounds, it sounds like it's gonna be fun. So we will announce the actual uh, contents of that uh, that that 
dynamic duo at a later date. But for today, we have Jess Max, and we are going to talk about a dungeon that he selected, especially. Um, I think we actually sent the schedule over to you first and just said, hey, which of these can you dig into? And you spat this one back out. So looking very much forward to it. And, you know, it's funny that you would pick the other predominantly vertical-based dungeon like yeah. you did in Link's Awakening where you chose Eagle Tower. Yeah, Max so has a thing you, for towers. You cut he does that. like uh, the towers. The two, the two dungeons I picked for Link's of the Past are both the ones that have vertical puzzles. Uh, that's a theme of mine at this point, somehow, that, that happened. You seem to like them. I am both critical of and enjoy playing them. <laughs> well, that's, that's all we ask for on the podcast. Objectivity criticality and Criti- criticality. strong opinions critical thinking and strong opinions there you go i'm gonna cut in the willem defoe saying <laughs> symbolism from <laughs> i think the word you're looking for is symbolism the symbology oh, that's such a great movie uh, boondock saints i have lots of fun movie. i have lots of fond memories of it and i actually recently revisited it and it's like it does it's not hold, fun. It's fun. It does not hold up particularly well in like uh, the slightly more socially conscious era in which we now live. But it's, you know, nah, it's still such a fun movie, though. But like, yeah, what's, what's not fun about watching two Irish dudes shoot a bunch of mobsters? I mean, you know, like, Sounds three, like a lot of fun to me. Three whiskeys in it was certainly a good time. <laughs> Anywho, this is not a Boondock Saints retrospective podcast. Thank God. I feel like that audience is <laughs> pretty we, niche. What would we even call that? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know because we did we did the Red Dead Redemption Sacred Realms, uh, which was uh, Yeehaw Realms. Um, <laughs> this is this is more this is more rope. A Boondock Saints retrospective <laughs> podcast. <laughs> You're stupid f-ing rope. Oh, is that right, Rambo? Oh God. Okay. Okay. okay I'm sorry. Move on now. Oh, I'm gonna he just yeet us right back into the lane that we're supposed to be in. Let's get into some housekeeping. If you didn't know, Sacred Realms is a weekly re-examination of The Legend of Zelda, one little slice at a time. Sacred Realms drops every Wednesday and is available on all major podcast networks. Every week, we play a new section of a Zelda game, then we sit down here to talk and to drop our hot takes. If that sounds fun to you, please head over to Apple Podcasts, hit that subscribe button, and be sure to leave us a review. Five-star reviews are very greatly appreciated, and they have a chance to get a shout-out here on the show. If you want more Sacred Realms in your life, you can head over to patreon.com slash sacredrealmspod to get access to bonus episodes, write in listener mail, vote on what game we play next, and so much more. But without further ado, let's talk about what we played. We do that, of course, every week in the Sacred Realms Rundown, which is a six-part analysis of what we played this week and the feelings that it made us feel. Today, we're covering A Link to the Past, Chapter 3, uh, including the Tower of Hera dungeon and uh, re- and uh, claiming for the first time our third pendant, which is the last barrier to uh, re- receiving the uh, Master Sword. So big stuff happening here, definitely exiting the first act of this game the uh plot oh, sorry the sacred realms rundown always begins with part one which is the plot recap normally read by matt he is back this week after a hiatus last week uh thank you stomach bug you really just ruined a whole lot of stuff yeet including matt's <laughs> uh several days of matt's life <laughs> a- absolutely ruined yes 
Yeah. Uh, but he is back to read us the plot recap today. And so we are going to give him some room to just do that. Matt, take it away. <clears throat> As we leave the Western desert, we know of only one more pendant of power to find the pendant of power. Looking at our oddly omniscient map, we see that our next target is the looming tower in the northern sector. Hey, it's wisdom. Is, no, we got wisdom in the desert. No, we got power in the desert. This is wisdom. You're getting them confused because of their color. No, that's why. So I remember last week I asked you, why is the pendant of power blue? Yes, because you got the pendant of power last week and now we have to go get in, the pendant of wisdom. You're right. Hold on. <laughs> I don't think I ever noticed that they had the wrong colors. Yeah, yeah. It's like they kind of figured out that red is supposed to be maybe the color of power and strength. And, and so it just was like that going forward. But yeah, in this game, the pendant of power is blue and the pendant of wisdom is yeah, red. Right. Okay, hold on. I'm just going to. All right. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. No, I'm leaving this whole thing in. No, you're not. <laughs> I am. No, you're not. You can't stop me. I, I, you're right. I can't, but I can just chalk this whole section full of curse words and make you edit them all out. <laughs> don't do that. Why would you then do don't that? Don't leave it in. <sighs> Dude, you this make is, me look bad constantly. Don't even. This is good pod. We're creating good pod right I, now. We can have this whole their odd colors discussion after I'm done with the plot recap, so we can keep it in there. But you're not keeping this in there to make me look like. Okay. 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 All right. I agree. Mutually de assured destruction was not on my to-do <laughs> list for this episode. So good. Okay. Hey, listen. <laughs> Left it in. Take that, Matt. Pinky promise. Pinky promise. I will. I will tell your wife on you if you don't do it. Because I'm going to listen to this episode. You. You should cut out the actual like embarrassing part and then cut back in just for those last few lines for the like <laughs> mutually assured destruction was not the plan. Pinky promise. And then your viewers I will, will be tell like, your what wife. the f we missed? <laughs> As we leave the Western desert, we know of only one more pendant to find the pendant of wisdom. Looking at our oddly omniscient map, we see that our next target is the looming tower in the Northern sector, which is surrounded by pre previously impassable mountains. After using our new power gloves to pal around Hyrule and find some new nifty treasures, we head there to continue the journey. As we enter the mountain range, the dark tunnels obscure our vision, and evil little bats attack us from many of the dark walls. On our path through the maze-like tunnels, we come across a wise old man who has lost his lantern and asks us to take him to the surface. He leads us through some of the winding tunnels back to his cottage, and along the way talks to us about the ones who came before us looking for the lost golden power, and how they never returned from this quest. The old man mentions that he has a granddaughter who is near the same age as, the, as Link. The king took his granddaughter, and it is revealed that she is one of the seven maidens. Kidnapping these maidens is part of the wizard Aghanim's plot to somehow use the power of the descendants of the wise men to gain entrance to the sacred realm. When we get back outside, the old man states that the missing maidens are still alive, and he believes that a hero will rescue them. And thanks for our kindness in helping him through the dark cave, the old man gives us a magical mirror and says that we should use it if we ever go through a magic portal. Completely perplexed by this statement, we continue our exploration of the mountain while dodging loads of falling rocks and some odd stone gerbil-looking things that are out for blood. Finally, we reach the top of the mountain and find the tower that we seek, but it is completely inaccessible to us. 
the sheer cliffs surrounding it are unable to be climbed in any way. As we continue east along the cliff, we see an odd shimmering square on the ground, and as our curiosity always dictates, we step right on in. We are immediately transported into an alternate dimension, and as we look around, taking in the dark storm clouds and the lava-filled rocks, we notice that our very appearance has changed as well. In this place, we occupy the shape of a pink rabbit, completely helpless. Perplexed by this place, we move on to find clues. We do find two other creatures here, an odd pink ball and an orange fox-like creature, but our curiosity does not let us talk to them. Instead, we try to find a quick way out. As we search around, we remember the old man's words, and we use the magical mirror on a spot that looks as if it might be helpful, and find ourselves back in our own world, on top of a small hill overlooking the tower that we seek. Grabbing the piece of heart, we jump down and head to enter the tower and claim the pendant. The tower is a tricky maze of interconnected rooms, levels, and switches that activate and deactivate different barriers throughout the entire level. Navigating these proves a bit tricky, but after learning from falling through a few holes in the ground, we start to get the hang of navigating this new type of puzzle. Puzzles aren't the only thing around as we find ourselves constantly facing new enemies along the way, including some squid things that are immune to arrows, fire-breathing hedgehogs, and new variation of the classic walking skeletons that now throw their own bones at us in a very disgusting way. Near the top of the tower, we start to see creatures that resemble a cross between worms and giant hamburgers, which move around in erratic patterns as a way of attack. Through all of this, we use the big key on a giant chest in the center of the dungeon and claim the Moon Pearl, which will allow us to retain our form in the alternate Dark World dimension. While nifty, it doesn't exactly help us here, so we press on to the top of the tower to find the boss guarding the pendant that we seek. Once at the top, we see a gigantic version of the odd worm hamburger things and do battle with it. Annoyingly, this enemy is immune from the front, so we must maneuver around the extremely tiny platform that inexplicably has a hole in the middle in order to hit the Moldorm on its tail. As we do, we are occasionally knocked off the platform to the room below and must climb our way back to the top and restart the fight. Finally, after falling off the platform at least a thousand times, we end Moldorm's life and claim the pendant of wisdom for ourselves. Now we have all three pendants and can move on to claim the Master Sword as well. This has been the plot recap as read by Matt. Part two is our takes where we talk about this section of game and how it made us feel. Real quick before we get into that. So one excellent job on the plot recap, Matt. You uh, stretched that somewhat lean section of game out into a very decent little chunk. So well done. Thank you. Appreciate Max, that. I wanted to bounce this over to you before we get into our takes. So I was trying Actually, to find... Can, do we, can we do... Let's like take a step back here. I want to talk about the pendants real fast because this was very confusing. They were differently colored than they were like supposed to be in my mind, right? Like the green one, which was the pendant of courage was correct. But then the second one we've got the pendant of power was blue, which is incorrect. And then this one, the pendant of wisdom was red. Like those two colors were switched and it's very confusing. And I was just like, that was weird to me. Is that weird to anybody else? Or is like that just me coming at this from a younger person who's never played this game perspective? Early game is early, you know? Like I I, I think. My guess is that uh, they hadn't yet 
done uh I, I my guess is that they picked the colors that all the games after this have for the for like red being power blue equals wisdom based on the character designs in ocarina of time which was the first game where they strongly associated the different triforces with the specific characters prior yeah. to that it was just kind of like less character attached for each piece um so i'm guessing that's why they just hadn't landed on the the permanent colors yet <laughs> because in this uh in this game we don't even necessarily like the Triforce is not broken up in this game. It just exists whole within the dark world, right? We don't have that whole thing about how like Ganon stole a piece of it or whatever. Right. So, so that's interesting. And I guess in this, in this world as well, do they have the goddesses Din, Feror, and Nehru as well? Or is that established later? They, they have not been discussed at this point. They are introduced in Ocarina of Time. Now okay. they're uh, they're introducing Link to the Past in the instruction manual. Really, specifically. Ooh, wow, that's a, that's a twist. Look at that, Man. Max is schooling us. <laughs> I uh, mean, I've talk- no, go ahead. I well, I just think so. Sorry, Cody mentioned this last week, and we were talking about the vast disparity that there is in interacting with these games between like the way it originally was, where you get a manual in the box and one where you don't, and. Uh-huh. Uh, I think that like people, especially people who play the remaster of Link's Awakening, I think that version of the game is amazing, but they're missing out on such a cool experience of having had that manual with all of its various <laughs> illustrations and whatnot. But Yeah, I have an extremely strong memory of driving home from Toys R Us in the backseat, reading the manual of this game, and then going to my friend's house, set a sleepover that night. And reading the manual, the entire sleepover piece, all I wanted was to go home and play Link to the Past. Uh, and I read, the, I must have read that manual like a hundred times over the years. Uh, I once it's, lost all my Zelda manuals and uh, Link's Awakening, Link to the Past, No Grief Time. And I snail mailed Nintendo of America asking for new ones with like some dollar bills in the envelope. And they sent me new copies <laughs> of the manuals. Oh, nice. <laughs> good on them. I mean, it's just so interesting. Like, obviously, a lot of skills that are inherent to playing video games are now kind of just in the, <laughs> I guess, in out out there in the air. Like, people just sort of know how to interact with video games a bit more now. But uh, I do miss the days when when those nice little manuals came with every game and they were personalized to that game. I understand it's probably a bit of a lift creatively to put those together, but I miss them. Uh, I've talked about Yoshiaki Koizumi before. He's the guy who like co-invented Z-targeting, wrote the story for Link's Awakening, Majora's Mask, uh, you know, designed all the side quests in the three-day system for Majora's Mask, you know, super superhero. Um, he wrote the manual story. That's how he got started on the Zelda series, was he wrote the manual story and the backstory artwork, which is like images of the three goddesses and stuff, uh, for Link to the Past. So, uh, so that's where so we he have, got to start. So we have Koizumi-san to thank for the existence of Din, Nehru, and Feror. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Well, thank you, thank you, Koizumi-san. <laughs> anyway, okay. So getting into our takes, Max, I wanted to real quick ask because this is our first visit to the Dark World, and we we are visited by Bunny Link and his and all of his spritey goodness. And I was trying to explain on the very first episode of this season the reason that Link has pink hair and why that's kind of tied in with like the number of sprite colors that uh, like I, I guess 
the Link sprite shares a color selection with the Bunny sprite, but I don't really get why. Can you explain that better? Uh, so to be completely honest, I don't have a very good understanding of this myself. Um, that's that's always been the story, right? That it was a palette restriction of some sort, like a color palette restriction. Something to do with, you know, how many color palettes they can have loaded into memory or how many sprites they can have loaded into memory. Um, but I, I, it seems weird they would have done it just for the bunny moment because that's only like you know 20 seconds there's only like 20 seconds of being a bunny in the game <laughs> yeah because you get uh, like, i mean you, if you do it the right way for me i spent a solid 20 minutes jogging around in the dark world trying right. to figure out what to do <laughs> that's fair uh so uh, my guess is that um there was there was some palette restriction and it, it maybe had something to do with like real-time swapping one sprite for the other in that moment mm-hmm. but i'm kind of skeptical that that's the full story or the real story okay um, all right uh, i did like wear I'm, my pink hat today yeah uh, totally max on Nich- purpose max nichols has link hair right this very moment and uh gotta say it looks great on you max um no like i was reading i was reading around trying to get a good explanation for this and the and that one that i could find didn't make a whole ton of sense honestly so yeah, it's the it's an interesting it's an interesting thing, um, you know, a remaining point of discussion. There, who knows? There was an old Zelda manga in Japan where Link had pink hair that predates Link to the Past, and uh, Melora from History of Hyrule and I were discussing this recently, and, and there's there's kind of like maybe it was an artistic choice, like maybe they purposely wanted it to be pink. Though then it's weird that it doesn't match the artwork, but eh, hard to say. Who can tell? Look, this is like the wild west of game design when this game was created. Like early 90s, we're still kind of like coming out of the very earliest stages of like, you know, creating identities around some of these major characters. And these the IPs themselves are still very young. You know, I mean, it was just a, a very different time than it is now. Okay, so now that we've gotten that discussion about Link's hair out of the way, um, I'm going to go ahead and tee off and say that I definitely like this section of the game more than the previous one. Um, The entire desert section, I think, just felt kind of like, all right, you know, it's not that I didn't enjoy doing it. It just didn't leave any particular impression on me. This one, at least we're um, so we're kind of going up to the mountain range, which is a fun, interesting area. The the dangers are just a little bit more pronounced. We've got a slightly higher density of enemies and we've got environmental hazards. So that's a thing. Um, But I, I do like the dungeon as well, certainly much more than I enjoyed the desert palace. We'll talk about that more in the dungeon map section. But And then uh, we get our first introduction to the Dark World, as I mentioned before, um, which is a cool little tease for things to come later in the game. So all in all, uh, neat. You know, I I, I had fun with it. Matt, where were you at? Yeah, I mean, it was it was definitely a lot of fun. Um, I spent a little bit more time just kind of wandering around. I didn't actually accomplish anything in my wanderings, which was a little bit annoying for me. Heart pieces? Nothing? Uh, No, I really didn't find all that much stuff. Maybe I'm just bad at wandering right now. Um, But yeah, I was just kind of wandered. I got a little bit better at combat, which is a good thing. And then uh, threw some rocks at people, which was also fun. Um, Found the Master Sword Grove on accident. So I already know where that is. (laughs) Were you you in the Lost Woods looking for heart pieces? Because there's one in there. Yes, I was. And I found the one in the thieves den that you can like drop cool. down. Yeah. All right. Yeah, there you so go. I found that one. Yeah. Um, it's uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's fun. I, I found the 
falling rocks annoying in like the the maze to get through the tunnels was fine using the lantern rescorting the old man going into the dark world all that stuff was you know it was pretty standard the falling rocks were super annoying they killed me twice as i'm just wandering around trying to figure out how to get to the tower of hera between going into the dark world and going out of the dark world and like how am i supposed to use this dark world thing to get where i'm supposed to go because i like i figured out pretty quickly that i was supposed to do that but just like how to do that. Unavoidable environmental hazards are also not necessarily my favorite thing in the world. Um, I don't necessarily, yeah, I don't like hate it. It's the whole depth depth perception thing. Like I just don't, (laughs) I have such a hard time judging where they are. Like, am I about to go like under this rock or is it going to hit me on the head? They have a weird erratic bouncing and it's hard to judge when in their animation they're going to hit the ground. And therefore you, so that was semi-annoying, but um, no, it was, I actually really kind of enjoyed in a way just like wandering around the dark world as Bunny Link trying to puzzle solve that. Um, and then when I finally figured it out, just by going to the little, um, the little X marks the spot, or really it's like a plus mark, hmm. and just using the magic mirror, I was like, oh, well, okay, that makes some sense. When you realize that the solution was literally like five seconds away, from yes. the time that you started trying to figure it out, was that a fun moment for you? It actually kind of was, and I wasn't even mad about it. Well, there you go. That's a good sign. Yeah, it was uh, It was interesting. I was trying to, so there's actually a ledge underneath that portal that you can fall off of, and there's a tunnel that is only accessible in the dark world. And so I went into that tunnel, and you cannot do anything in said tunnel as Bunny Link. And I spent a lot of time trying to figure out if there was a way that I could go in the tunnel and use the mirror and then be regular link. And if that was how I was supposed to get there, blah, blah, blah. So, yeah, I mean, I did a couple different things to explore some different options. And uh, it was interesting. Max, where are you at with this section of the game? Um, I have some fond memories of this section of the game and some some slightly less fond. Uh, I, I love the mountains as an environment um i I find the like the clouds and the far off view of like the forests behind the mountains like really uh like it's really strong as a sense of place for me like i look at those forests Mm -hmm. i'm like oh i want to go there and this place is gorgeous and like it's just a cool feeling especially back in the day in like in like 97 or whatever which is when i played this game the first time it kind of blew my mind a little bit yeah um and there's there's a there's a bit of like oftentimes um well backing up a little bit once you've beaten the second dungeon you have the 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 power gauntlets um you basically have access to the whole of the light world at that point um you can explore everywhere in the light world except for the top right mountainous area uh so that's like that's often the point in this game where I kind of decide to like I'm gonna go get a bunch of heart pieces I'm gonna go get the flippers I'm gonna so I like that's when the game feels like it opens up a bit. Um, to be fair, you can actually access most of the light world almost immediately, um, but the power gauntlets gets you access to the last bits that you couldn't before, like the the Zora River. Um, so I always that's the part I enjoy. Like I enjoy going to the river, which is another evocative area 
Uh, I often explore the forest on my way to the mountain because the forest is one of my favorite areas in a Zelda game. I just think mm-hmm. that like the lighting effect they have in there is gorgeous. Yep. So I was noticing that earlier. You were talking about the layering of the scenery on the mountain. And uh, so the standout visual effect for me this week, because I also visited the forest, um, was definitely that whole kind of like light coming through the trees effect that you're talking about right now. And it sort of moves at a different speed than your character moves. And it creates kind of this really neat depth effect. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think it's just indicative of like the fact that 16 bit games is like the art style that they had to play around with, I think is like, I think with eight bit, you are still restricted just a little bit more than I potentially identify with you know um but with 16 bit you really have the tools to do some very neat and interesting things i think that's one of the reasons that that style of of that visual aesthetic is so often uh emulated even in the modern day you know but yeah um and uh of course i love the like this section of the game is your first glimpse of the dark world um uh, I've actually talked to people who they didn't know that there was a dark world when I played Link to the Past. Like they thought they were getting to the end of the game. Uh, they were about to beat the game and then they like go to this dark world and become a bunny and they're like, oh, what? What is this? And it kind of blows people's minds a little bit. Uh, it opens up the big, the sea of possibilities for people. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's cool. Uh, it has that effect a little bit even when you know. Like how was that for you, Matt? Like your first glimpse of the dark world. I'm curious. Yeah. So it was a lot like the, a link between worlds, dark world, which I have seen. I've never beaten Ah. a link between worlds, but I have, I did get far enough in that game to go into the dark world at one point. Um, so like the very first thing I thought of was like, Oh, this kind of looks a lot like that. And I mean, I knew just from the conversations that Link would turn into a bunny the first time you were there. So that yeah. didn't take me by surprise, which if I didn't know that, I would have been like, what in that actual <laughs> F is happening? I, I would have been so confused by by Bunny Link. Um, and like when I went and talked to the little ball dude, he was like, you take the form of whatever your heart says. So like, is Link's heart a bunny? And is that a Presumably? good thing or a bad thing? Because that sure. bunnies aren't exactly courageous animals and Link's supposed to be like this courageous hero knight. So I'm not exactly sure. I mean, it's better than like grumpy dude monster and his like pink gumball that he's kicking around. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's just like weird though. Like bunny. Yeah, hmm. it, it's all I've always thought that okay. was weird. So uh, bunny was an odd choice. But yeah. um. Uh, I just lost my train of thought. Back to you. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of. I, I am a little disappointed, especially given that you haven't beaten it. I'm disappointed that you have any experience with a link between worlds before you are going through and playing this game, just because a link between worlds is such like. Obviously, you can't. Dude, I remember like nothing of that game other than okay. just, like general okay. impressions of the dark world when I stepped into it the first time. I do want to come back. Nothing. I want to come back to a link between worlds later in this episode. I have a, a specific point I want to raise about it, but like, I don't know. I think that uh, a lot of the joy of playing a link between worlds comes from the similarities um, in, in place and geography between that game and this game. Um, obviously the, like the, the geography of the dark world, like in low rule or in a uh, link between worlds, it's low rule and it's a completely different area than the dark world in this game, but their high rules are pretty, pretty similar. Um, 
And so, yeah, I mean, you knowing that that was kind of coming up, I guess, is a, is a little bit of a, a disappointment, <laughs> but uh, whatever. To, to be fair, any most people at the time knew because it was in advertisements and it was in the instruction manual and characters oh. mention <laughs> it when you're talking. Um, so it's it wasn't a, it's not a surprise for most people, I think. So they pulled a uh, we we let the cat out of the bag that Arnold is a good Terminator in T2 in the trailer kind of situation with this. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, such a bad decision. Can you imagine seeing Terminator 2 for the first time and not knowing that Arnold was going to be the good guy? I can because I did. I have never actually seen Terminator 2. You've never seen Terminator 2? Oh my god, what? (laughs) Oh dude, that movie's amazing. I should probably watch it. I hear good things. It's incredible. It's so good. Um, Anywho, regardless, just in the the same way that this is not a Boondock Saints podcast, it's also not a The Terminator podcast. So um, yeah, okay, cool. So uh, Matt has now gotten his first taste of the dark world. Uh, We are all decently interested in this section of the game. Um, I think we can go ahead and get on into the dungeon map, which is part three, because I get the feeling that that is why you chose this episode, Max. You You tend to do that. So there, there's one more thing that worth mentioning, which is that uh, I, when I first played this game, I couldn't figure out Spectacle Rock, uh, which is the puzzle where you go to the dark world and you use the mirror to come back to the light world on top of the the rock bluff that that Matt mentioned. Um, I was st- I, I played for hours and hours as a kid and I couldn't figure out and I went to my friend's house and I had him play and we couldn't figure it out because neither of us were used to that kind of puzzle, like that kind of spatial teleportation puzzle, like which feels really common and standard in games today. Like it was totally just this unfamiliar idea to us. So Um, so that was the first time. So you're talking specifically though, about like where one, so one grid position in the dark world corresponds to the same grid position on the map in the light world, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And that was not a thing we were used to thinking about. Um, so I, that was the first time I ever went to game FAQs. Uh, we loaded it up on dial up and found it a walkthrough <laughs> for a link to the past. And it is my everlasting shame that I had to look it up. But, uh, <laughs> but I definitely did. I kind of, I, I understand that though. There's nothing like, I mean, completely forget, remove the subsequent 30 years of game design an experience that have happened since this game released. Mm -hmm. There's nothing that's happened in a Zelda game or a game previous to this one that would train you to think along those lines in the first place. And there's not too many hints either that that's what you're supposed to do necessarily. The old man does say like when he gives you the mirror, he's like, if you get into the dark world, use this and blah, 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 blah. But like also you don't have a, uh, it's not like you have a quest journal or anything like that. So if you miss it, and you don't like register it that one time that he says it, you know, you're kind of up a Creek, which is, is what it sounds like happened to you. Um, yeah, it's definitely, it's interesting because even in games where you have warping between two separate world states, uh, because even Zelda does this quite a lot. I mean, you know, from past to present in Ocarina of time and, um, you know, I mean, that kind of thing. Uh, there's still like predetermined crossover spots and link between worlds. You've got predetermined crossover spots where you can kind of like slide from one world to the next. Uh, in this game, it's just like go nuts, like try to, <laughs> tr- you know, 
move over like uh, you in this specific chunk of the game, you go through the portal because that's the only way that you can yeah. do it at the moment. Um, and then it's like, hey, use the magic mirror and we're going to warp you back. And if you're in an unwarpable spot, then we're just going to spit you back into the place you started. Um, but it really does open you up to kind of like move around in some very interesting ways. Yeah, and a lot of the puzzles after this point in the game are based on that mechanic. But uh, but yeah, this is the, your intro, and I, it went over my head uh, as a 10-year-old or whatever I was. Completely understandable. Matt, how did you, like, at, at what point did it register for you exactly what you were supposed to do? Oh, I mean, pretty quickly. Like, once I wandered around the dark world for about five minutes and realized that, like, I couldn't go anywhere necessarily, I started teleporting myself back and forth between the dark world and the light world, just kind of in not exactly random places, but like places that I couldn't access from the light world. I would try to go to on the dark world, which is how I got to that tunnel thing that was right underneath um, the little ledge. And uh, so I started doing that fairly quickly, but I, I didn't. I guess the the thing that I missed was I didn't think it would be as easy as walk 10 feet and teleport (laughs) yourself back. Um, So I was looking for a more complex solution, number one. And number two, I I didn't even register that the tops of the mountains had the same the plus symbol until I was looking at that piece of heart thinking, man, I really want that. And then like (laughs) went back into the dark world and walked back over there and was like, oh, hey, (laughs) that's the thing that's near the piece of heart. Boom. Cool. All right. So uh, I feel like you actually probably figured this out in the most organic possible way that Nintendo like intended you to do it. So that's cool. Good on you. Yay. <laughs> Yay. You Perks be of proud being of you. 28 when you play it for the first time and have played a lot of <laughs> Zelda games. Yeah, no joke. Okay, let's move on to part three, which is the dungeon map where we analyze this week's dungeon from mechanics to music and more. This week's dungeon is, of course, the Tower of Hera, a notably vertical dungeon. Uh, Max, I'm going to let you tee off here because you specifically requested this episode, and I have a sneaking suspicion that the Tower of Hera has a lot to do with it. So (laughs) how do you feel about the Tower of Hera? Uh, Well, first of all, that name is weird. Tower of Hera, that's such a on-the-nose Greek reference that you don't see anywhere else in the series, right? Isn't that exactly? Yeah, like it's, it's very it's very real world in a way that not many things are. Yeah. Um, so that's always even as a kid, I was like, huh. Um, but I don't know if you've ever seen a lot of the Link to the Past art, but there's this amazing piece of artwork of a Link standing on like this mountain cliff path. And the Tower of Hera in the distance, like limbed by clouds. And I have, and it's amazing. I love that. That's that is the re- honestly, that piece of art is one of the reasons this dungeon has always stood out to me. Like I was excited to get to that dungeon when I first played this game because of that artwork, which was like front and center in the manual. Um, I'm going to keep referring to the manual. Well, uh, no, but, but it's totally fair, right? Because this game, obviously, The Legend of Zelda was a lot more limited in terms of like terrain and biomes, if you can even call them that or whatever. This game has a lot more to work with, and this is probably the most grandiose of the ones that we've been to so far. It's a giant tower on top of a mountain range. And so having a corresponding piece of artwork in the manual that brings it to life in an even more obvious way, I totally understand how you're young imagination was captured by that because my 32 year old imagination is captured by that. (laughs) Um, but yes, the tower of Hera itself as a dungeon is, uh, 
not amazing, I don't think. But it it has a bunch of things that are slightly interesting as as a dungeon, even in the context of Link to the Past, that also give me an excuse to talk about why Link to the Past dungeons are uh, such an important design step between Zelda 1's uh, like nothing dungeon mazes and like modern dungeon design, which is totally different. Um, but uh, Tower of Hera as a dungeon is like very linear. You go down downstairs. There's like three rooms down there. You get a I think you get the big key. You get the big key like within the first few rooms of this dungeon before you even explore the upper floors. Yeah, um, you um, you can you can get it basically immediately. Yeah. And then after that, it's just a, you know, you go up one floor, you cross, go up the stairs on the other side, cross until you go up uh, three or four floors to the boss. Um, it's a it's a pretty small and straightforward dungeon. Um, it does some interesting things with the, the puzzle blocks, like the rising and lowering blocks, um, where, well, by interesting, I mean interesting to talk about, not super interesting to play. Because, uh, yeah, yeah, they don't actually have any puzzles related to it. Like, it's almost no, it's purely just how there. to get into in and out of rooms. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> like, is it? It's almost purely like, there to like teach you the mechanic for future dungeons, I think. And I actually don't have a great recollection of to what extent these come back in future dungeons in a more complicated way in A Link to the Past. Um, obviously, I know that. So, having played Link's Awakening recently, Face Shrine. Um, a, a few of the dungeons involve these pretty heavily, but uh, face shrines specifically, the extent to which you have like the, the to whether you have the blocks up or down is a main mechanic of that dungeon, you know? Yeah. Um, and I especially so like I kind of find myself wishing that, you know, you've got all these floors, um, even if the floors stay pretty self-contained in terms of like size, even if they're not sprawling in the way that we associate with like face shrine. I do wish they had thought of a few ways to maybe uh create some more intentional backtracking between the block raising and lowering and the non-damaging fall through gaps in the floor yeah um it's a pretty combat light dungeon uh and honestly the most the most dangerous part of the combat is the boss knocking you off the ledge and having forcing you to restart yep um yeah, I uh, I have a bunch of thoughts about how Link to the Past dungeon design is 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 an interesting transition point. But I, I know you haven't you haven't had a chance to say anything for a few minutes here, Matt. Yeah, so I think honestly the most interesting puzzle variation on this one was the switches that rearrange the holes in the floor. So I actually did really like that one because it made you think about vertically where are the holes aligned to what's underneath of it specifically in order to get the moon pearl i was like that was a really fun little like brain teaser exercise for me as i was like flipping those switches and like how do i drop down from this floor to this floor without dropping through three different things and i actually there is a point where you can get stuck in a corner um on this map if you fall through the wrong hole and you land in the wrong spot you land in a corner in a corner surrounded by impassable barriers and you have to use the magic <laughs> mirror to go back to the entrance, um, which is really interesting that the, uh, I think the elder tells you that or something. The elder. Sahasrala. Or the yeah. Sahasrala, yeah. yeah. 
he he like tells uh, you like oh if you get stuck use the magic mirror and i was like but that's I'm only but that's stuck. only if you remembered to interact with the little triangle pedestal at the beginning of the dungeon otherwise you're kind of like sol which that's the first time that i figured out that you could even do that i didn't know what those <laughs> things were for so lucky me <laughs> the manual tells you that by the way i think uh, i have yeah, to go pull i have it on a shelf over there i can go look but the whatever magical manual uh sahasrala by the way was my wi-fi password for a while oh Dude, my god no one could ever crack that i was Not even like you. i was like i know how to spell this which i do um this is gonna be a great password because no one else knows how to spell it but that that was a problem for my wi-fi password any one time someone came to visit me so uh no longer <laughs> <laughs> yeah, seriously, that would be a nightmare. It's definitely one of the more one of the uh, more namey names that they've ever come up with in a Zelda game. For sure. Uh, I forget so, yeah, where I was I, going with I this. I think that I think that drop, you know, the whole dropping down to different levels to get different things is interesting. I was really proud of myself when I figured out the hole to jump through in order to fall through all of the consecutive um vases in order to get to the fairy fountain at the bottom yeah Very proud of myself for that one um and the fact that that fairy fountain constantly replenishes itself every time you use it both fairies and then leave was so helpful because it kept me from dying at moldorm more than twice um so very very grateful for that um yeah i mean like it was good it felt a lot like a much less interesting version of eagle tower like yeah that's really yeah, what it felt like to me was, was like i'm doing eagle tower without the ball pillar smashing thing uh comparing links to the past dungeons to links awakening dungeons it's like night and day right oh for sure um, it's it's crazy the the at, links at to the past point, dungeons sure. feel like what we would call a modern pre-breath of the wild modern zelda dungeon right and these links to the past ones um like the context here is that four or five years before this, Zelda One was you know a new game, and Zelda One dungeons were just combat mazes. They had essentially no puzzle solving other than you know the chance that there could be a f- fake wall that you could bomb. Um, I think my memory of Zelda One dungeons isn't amazing, but like that's how that's all I remember is they don't really have puzzles or anything. It's just combat. Um, combat mazes and then links to the past takes these huge strides forward right like all these experimental things with uh you know they have this big key concept they have key items that open your way through parts of the dungeon um they just got a lot more uh ambitious with their dungeon design um but they still hadn't really figured out what a zelda dungeon was yet right yeah um there's a whole lot of like introductions to mechanics that will be ongoing for the entirety of the Zelda series in this game so far. Yeah. <laughs> and I actually, I played Link to the Past three times. I don't have a great recollection of what any of the dungeon mechanics are in the back half at all. Um, a lot of that is just because uh, it's not like I get the two games mixed up, but I just have a lot more firm memories of A Link Between Worlds and its dungeons than this <laughs> game's and they're so similar. There's like a lot of like mental overlap there. Yeah, it's but, hard to keep track uh but like i don't know i mean especially in these first three dungeons that we've done so far there's a lot of stuff that is rudimentary 
So I definitely think that this dungeons in this game introduce things that you kind of like experience in dungeons, especially in top down Zelda's going forward a long way through the rest of the series. The raising and lowering of the blocks is one in this dungeon for sure. And then you definitely hit up um, non damaging fall through floors in Link's Awakening. And I'm sure you do in the Oracle games as well. I don't remember, but um, I got to believe that that happens. So, yeah, I mean, but it, it this definitely feels kind of like you can tell it's the first iteration of a thing like Nintendo saying, Hey, here's a mechanic that we thought up. Here's a dungeon where it happens, but it's like that next half step towards adding complexity around that is not there yet. And I feel bad for saying that because it's unfair to expect that of them necessarily. Right. Um, but it still does kind of like color how much I enjoy these dungeons versus like once in Link's Awakening. Right. Uh, I mean, and and the dungeons are most of the game. Like as a percentage of your playtime, you spend most of your time in dungeons and links of the past. Uh, yeah, there's also a ton of them. Yeah, like a lot. I think 13, something like that. Um, if you count Hyrule Castle. Uh, but uh, like I, the, the structure of a Zelda dungeon, a modern Zelda dungeon is, you know, if you split it into thirds, the first third is... You know, you explore the dungeon, you you kind of figure out the limits of your current capabilities. Maybe you see some like gaps you can't get over or doors you can't open yet. Uh, and then in the middle third, you get the dungeon item. Um, and then you use the dungeon item to, you know, access those things you couldn't access before, solve puzzles you couldn't solve before. And in the final third, like is often like, you know, there's a combat gauntlet on the way to the boss room. Um, stuff like that. Uh and links to the past, they they have dungeon items that are relevant to the puzzles in some of the dungeons, but they don't yet have that structure of the dungeon item is going to unlock a bunch of stuff you couldn't do before. Um, like if you think to these first three dungeons, none of them really have. It's not like you suddenly access a bunch of the dungeon using the dungeon item. Um, instead, that role is fulfilled by the big key. Uh, yeah, as think, opposed to later games where it's a boss room key only. Yeah, the closest I can think of is the Eastern Palace where the bow is required to like damage the boss, you know? Um, yeah. But that's really it. In this dungeon, of course, the, the item that you get, the moon, per- the moon pearl, is completely disconnected from anything you're doing in the dungeon. Like, you, you can, and I'm sure people have, beaten this entire dungeon without getting the moon pearl and then have to oh, like, yeah. go back and figure it out well and it's it's hidden behind the only hard puzzle in the dungeon too which is the rearranging of the floor tiles. rearranging the floor and then falling down which is also by the way the first um vertical puzzle vertical like mental mapping puzzle in the series uh <laughs> fun note so it's actually really easy and probably common especially at the time to miss the moon pearl uh and you can just go onwards afterwards you can get the master po- sword without getting the moon pearl i forget if the game ever f- forces you to get it before you get to the dark world for realsy but uh i think it's possible to get to the dark world without the moon pearl I'm and then you're stuck i'm wondering what happens in that case because like so i actually have not played i i i did play a little bit extra this morning because i had some more time i got the master sword and fought agonim and then ended up in the dark world for realsies 
And uh, I don't know where the nearest portal back to the light world is from there, because as soon as you get warped in there, you're going to get turned into a bunny unless you have the moon pearl. But I don't know how easy it is to get back to the you light have world. The, the, the magic mirror. Oh, right, right, right. Which is right. always your free key back home. Yep, you're right. So you're right. I'm sure that a lot of people got kind of hung up on this. It Like, it is an interesting puzzle in and of itself. Um, and it is fun just because, uh, you know, the whole fall through floors mechanic has not been capitalized on a ton before now in this dungeon. And, you know, I'm thinking of ways that it could have been. And, like, I, I'm the last person to try and ask um, for a development team to, like, frustrate my dungeon experience. But, like, you know... Make it so that if you don't do this correctly, you fall all the way back to the first floor or something. That kind of sounds like a gimme to me. Um, it does, but it also sounds like a very quick way to make me very much hate this dungeon. Like I'm, I'm at the point with this dungeon where like it wasn't necessarily it didn't blow my mind, but I also didn't walk away hating it. And like I would say it was like a decent-ish level of challenging. Wasn't interesting, but like it wasn't annoying. Yeah. Now, if if I were to fall through a, a you know a hole on the fourth floor trying to get to the moon pearl and drop me all the way down to the first floor and have to climb all the way back up every single time, <laughs> yeah, that would be I would very quickly not like this dungeon anymore. Yeah, the the goal of Dun- Zelda dungeon puzzle design. It's a lot of words I strung together there, but uh, you know, the, they're oftentimes their goal when they're designing these puzzles is to make the player feel smart, um, and to have that sense of uh victory and elation when they solve a puzzle that was difficult uh, but not too difficult like they talk in interviews about how like they work really hard to make sure puzzles aren't too hard they want to trick you into thinking you're smart they don't want you to have to actually be smart uh, <laughs> wow Dang, yeah um so like they do a bunch of stuff when they design these puzzles where they like they introduce like an easy version of a mechanic they're like here's the gimme version where like it's a you automatically you can't avoid stepping on the shiny tile and it does a thing and you're like oh you make that mental connection that like this is the cause this is the effect um, and they kind of string these things along like they have these learning moments in modern puzzle design at least <laughs> where they they force you to encounter a mechanic they make you use that mechanic to solve a simple puzzle and then they kind of build it up and maybe they'll they'll make you combine it with other mechanics along the way that they similarly built up um, and link to the past doesn't do that very elegantly or effectively compared to later Zelda games. They don't really have that like that that pacing of ramping you up on mechanics yet, right? Um, well, because I feel like you know, otherwise we would have had um, at the very least several lower intensity versions of the fall through floor puzzle before we got to the Moon Pearl version of it. And uh, you know, I can say a similar thing for the whole Dark World Light World transition that gets us to the Tower of Hera. That one I'm a little more fuzzy on. I feel like later iterations of Zelda might have done that that way and like retained it. You know, that being your first introduction. Yeah. Um, but within the dungeon, I, I think for sure. I don't know. I'm, I'm sort of, I enjoyed this dungeon. I really did. Um, not not in like, not to say that I found it challenging in any way, because it truly is just like, I mean, we're still very much in what I feel like is a baby's first dungeon mentality with the Link to the Past dungeons. And uh, again, I feel bad saying that because like they were groundbreaking for their time and they they really were figuring a lot of things out. But, regardless um 
I don't know. I, and, and then in addition to that, I played a link between worlds as many times as I played a link to the past. And the tower of Hera is a dungeon in a link between worlds as well. And, uh, and that version of the dungeon was just so much better. Like there's so many more things <laughs> happening with verticality in that dungeon. Um, and then the whole like merging into the wall mechanic too um, meant that you had to explore the outer face of the tower as well as the inner face. And I don't know, like, I mean, you get what I'm saying, Max, like it's totally unfair to even bring that into the conversation because it's a game that was made like 25 years later, but well, that's what I was going to say is like, I feel like we're, we're constantly doing this, these dungeons in this game, a little bit of a disservice by contextualizing it into what came after specifically for me. Like I have no reference point for anything pre a link to the past. Everything that I've ever played is post a link to the past. And, um, like, I feel like that puts us at a little bit of a disadvantage contextually speaking, um, for how, much of a step forward this game definitely is to Max's point of the only preceding games here are the original legend of Zelda. And I think the adventure of link. Yep. And like, which is even which, which, the past. which the adventure of link isn't even like applicable to this conversation. So, right. So this is a major step forward historically speaking in dungeon design. Yeah. And like, yeah, when you look at it across the entire portfolio of what Zelda is now, Sure, that the dungeons are definitely underwhelming in some ways. Here is but here is one from where point, they are in time. Here is one we're, point. We're yeah, yeah, I agree with you. Here's one point that I'll raise um, to kind of as a contrary to what you're saying. Another one of the all time great video games that came out very close to when this game came out was Super Mario World. And Ooh, that is a fantastic point. It is. And Super Mario World has got some out of the way, very well hidden, crazy secrety secrets. Um, and this game so far doesn't necessarily have too much of that. I, I feel like I don't know. I I feel like there could have been some kind of shenanigans that they pulled that that kind of ramped up the difficulty of puzzle solving factor a bit more. Like, granted, in Mario, it's a little bit different because like you're kind of restricted to just the left right movement, you know, and they can hide a lot of things that way. I don't know. What what do you think, Max? Um, it's it's actually an interesting parallel to draw because uh there's a bunch of old interviews from around this time where where Miyamoto talks about how he thinks Zelda and Mario are essentially the same kind of game and he like the only difference is like uh I honestly I forget what he says the only difference is but it's like it's kind of feels super kind of uh oversimplification when he says these things in these interviews but but back then they were actually more similar, like especially not just Mario World, but Super Mario Bros. 3 was a game where you explored a world and there were secrets and secret paths that you could open and like you could get collect items and you could use those items to open paths to secret levels. Like that's a lot of stuff that sounds like a Zelda game, right? It's the series of diverged since then, but um, and uh. I never really thought about it, but you're totally right that Mario World has more obtuse, more and more obtuse secrets than Link to the Past does. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, maybe that's an unfair standard to like hold this to because it's a, the, the minute to minute gameplay is kind of different. So whatever. But uh, that's just something that I couldn't help but, but think about. Um, I mean, look, honestly, more difficult dungeons are 
coming. Um, so that it's fine. Yeah. You know, this is all good for yeah. what it is. One thing that this dungeon does have is a nice and difficult boss because Moldorm is super uh, annoying anytime uh, you encounter it. <laughs> hey, Matt, how'd you do with Moldorm? That little piece of... He knocked me off that platform literally two dozen times, at least. At least! And... I was so like once, like I said, the fairy fountain being constantly replenishing was the only reason that I didn't like rage quit this dungeon. He was more annoying than the uh, the twin mold worm thingies last week, but I did figure out finally how to stop myself from constantly getting knocked off, and that was to just hold my sword out yep. in front of me. And because that way, like he hits you to the edge, but you don't fall all the way off for some reason. For some reason, that's the trick. I don't know why, but it works. So I just did that and it was fine. So you're going to hate me. I have And just to just to clarify, let me guess you did on the first try. I have not. <laughs> I, I, I'm not doing this as a no death playthrough. Um, I have already died playing this game only once, but I, I have died. I've died, like, I've died like 10 times. Cool. I not only beat Moldorm without getting knocked off and without getting a game over, I didn't take a hit. So there <laughs> you go. It's Moldorm is a boss that's kind of just unfair. It's not hard exactly. It's like you just need to know how it works. And the only way to know how it works is to fail over and over until you learn. Um, well, it's weird because I didn't even realize what you guys were talking about. I did not know that holding your sword out in front of you keeps you saved from going over the edge. Um, I was just like, what I was doing was very intentionally kind of like trying to lead him over towards the slim section on the left side of the arena. Yeah. And keep him, keep him like locked in there. It's a little easier to predict his movements there. Yeah. And, uh, keep my, keep my sword permanently charged with the spin attack. Um, I only damaged him with spin attacks. Uh, yeah, same. Yeah, same. Yeah. Um, I, uh, it does this weird thing where I think so it bounces on the edge like it leads with its head and it bounces off the edge. And then I think it randomizes what direction it goes after each bounce. Like, I don't think there's any rhyme or reason to it. I think it's just random. Uh, that's how it feels to me, at least. Um, so, like, it's hard to predict where you need to stand. And I, I'm sure I'm sure pro speedrunners have like figured it out like they probably memorized the rng or something but <laughs> he's like the uh, uh, he's the zelda boss version of the dvd screensaver <laughs> bonk, bonk, bonk. Yeah, and you always like you always like cheer when it hits the corner it never exactly hits right. the corner yes! <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh yeah no that was always a fun time i mean what is um, what is there else to say about moldorm really i mean we covered him quite a lot in Link's he looks Awakening. like a hamburger he does <laughs> as always moldorm looks like a hamburger i do think it's very funny because like we've gotten various other moldy i call them bosses in 3d zelda games like Moldorak and whatever you know and uh yeah. molduga um but uh we've never gotten a 3d rendition of moldorm moldorm working like he does here <laughs> where he just bounces around and you have to hit him in the tail and like i feel like for as chaotic as this is in a 2d space in a 3d space it could be just like wild so i don't know i'd love to see them maybe try that at some point um the the miniature versions of it are called mini molds Ah, uh, yay. <laughs> the Desert Palace ones are called Land Molas, um, if my memory serves. Uh, 
And it's weird that in later 3D games, they have essentially land molas, but they call them twin molds, right? In like Majora's Mask. Yeah. They like cross the streams there. Uh, well, they I, have I nothing digress. to do. As far as cuteness goes, they've got nothing on the baby Moldorax in Skyward Sword. <laughs> They're kind of cute in a fleshy I, sort of a, way. In a weird way. I have seen Moldorm plushies. Oh, well, that yeah, makes That does sound pretty cute, actually. Yeah, that sounds pretty cute. Yeah, I'd get a Moldorm plushie. I'd give it to my infant child. Uh, <laughs> let's. <laughs> you, you heard it here first, ladies and gentlemen. Let's go ahead and move on from the dungeon, unless either of you has anything else to say. I feel like that's kind of. Yeah, I mean, well. did either of you spend time trying to bomb all the cracked walls in this dungeon? Yes, yes. I did. I did. Screw that. Then none of them did anything. Yeah, I, I, I know very you annoyed. guys talked about this a little bit in the episode with Cody, so I won't go too deep into it. But for some reason, this game did a lot of stuff, does a lot of stuff with like faking you out. Um, like they teach you a language. It's like if you see a crack, you bomb it. And then they like give you a bunch of false positives everywhere. It's like, yeah, they're fake cracks. You can't actually bomb them. Jokes uh, on you, bro. <laughs> but I don't know. Like as frustrating as that is, not to prolong this discussion, but like <laughs> Anytime after this that these appear, it's so painfully obviously what what you have to do. Like to the point where after you have the bombs, it's not even a puzzle anymore. Like previous to when you have the bombs in Link's Awakening or whatever, then it's kind of interesting because it's like, okay, mental note, have to come back here later. But that tension tends to get like unraveled pretty quickly because you never get the bombs super late in any Zelda game. Yeah. So I don't know. I'm not saying that I like, appreciate that they were being intentionally misleading here but also it is an extra layer on top of a of a thing there's there's an interesting question which is like what do you want um bombable walls to be in the game ecosystem are they is the puzzle finding them in the first place is the puzzle getting access to them with the bomb or is it not even a puzzle like hookshot targets aren't a puzzle inherently you, once you have the item you can reliably spot and use them maybe bombed walls are the same uh, and different zelda games have had different answers to that question like zelda one like you can't see the bombs the walls you can bomb half the time uh, maybe all the time i, I forget uh, and link's awakening does it a little bit there are some invisible bombable walls and the only way you can tell is if you poke them with your sword and the pu- and the puzzle is tediously exploring every surface in the game um they kind of like yeah so and then then the fake out ones is kind of just like the opposite direction of the tedious exploring it's tedious in a different way where it's like oh i guess i just need to test every crack i see to to Um, no avail because as far as i know there is no bombable wall in this dungeon right uh as far as i know Right. No, no bomb walls. Sweet. So (laughs) cool. I wonder how many poor people like used all their bombs and then left the dungeon to get more bombs. And then just like finally were like, okay, I've beaten this thing. I guess there was nothing. Oh, well, speaking of bombs, did either of you try to throw? Sorry, I'm like just geeking out on like weird details of this dungeon. Did either of you try to throw bombs down to the mold arm from above? I did not. Does it work? I did not. Can you throw bombs in this game? I didn't even know you could do that. You can. can. Uh, The same button that places them also picks them up. Uh, Or maybe it's A. Super good to know. One of the buttons picks them up. Um, But it doesn't work. 
I always try to be smart. And I'm like, I'm going to bomb him from up here, and it never works. And I'm always sad that it doesn't work. <laughs> Do they, is it just that bombs don't damage him, or like the bombs don't make it down onto his like plane? That's a good question. I don't know what happens if you put the bombs in the ground while you're on the same level as him. Hmm. maybe that would work interesting good question very very good question i do believe that arrows damage him but also who's trying to kill that boss with arrows that sounds like a nightmare (laughs) yeah i actually did try that and it totally did not work at all maybe the ice rod would work which is otherwise like useless in every situation (laughs) i also tried Uh, that it does not work now uh, ice rod in this game sucks it's so bad so bad matt honestly playing this game is what is really making me do is making me excited for you to play link between worlds (laughs) honestly yeah Uh, it's it's funny i have this memory of link to the past being a perfect game like for for most of my life, I I would if someone was like name a perfect game, I would have been like Link to the Past. There's two things I'd change: I'd make the sound effect when you have low health beep less loudly, and I would make the menu screen scroll up faster. Uh, that used to be what I would say, and now I'm playing it again, and I haven't played it in like I don't know six years or something, um, and I'm like, I clearly see a lot of things that could be done way better now. Yeah. Uh, yep. Those nostalgia glasses, they are, yep. they're very real. All right, let's get into part four, which is where we talk side quests. Um, I think this can be a short one. We've already gotten into it a little bit. I didn't really do too many side quests. I did stumble across a very interesting looking, uh, pedestal up near Mount Hera, which I was able to translate with the book of Mudora informing me to return there when I have the master sword to maybe gain a new ability. Hmm. What, what that's about. Yeah. Um, I don't know what that's about. And I did get some heart pieces. Uh, Really, any of the ones, Lost Woods one, Matt mentioned, uh, some of the ones on the ascent to the Tower of Hera. Uh, Mostly that's really all that there is to it. I did get the bug net this week. I know I mentioned last week that I had not acquired it yet, and I do have it now. So there you go. Matt, is that about the breadth and width of your side quest experience as well? I did virtually nothing except find the Master Sword (laughs) Grotto and wander around aimlessly for a decent amount of time, which accomplished me also nothing. Sweet. So let's talk about Z-targeting, where we lock Uh, onto... Oh, wait, what did Max do? The only side quest I did was after after beating uh, the second dungeon, I had like 900 rupees because the game throws so many rupees at you and there's nothing to do with them. So I went out of my way to Zoro's River just to buy the flippers. Um which which ma- is kind of the only big expense you get for a while. Yeah. Which Matt and I both uh, still need to do um and haven't. So. I actually yeah, I don't even know how to do that. Perfect. Like I said, I'm not so looking at guides as much as now, possible. Now you have a hint. There's a goal. You need to seek out Zora flippers in the wild. <laughs> Got to swim. Okay. Sounds good to me. Uh, which is how side quests worked in this game, right? It'd be like someone says some offhand or you see you see something on a ledge and you try to figure it out. Those are side quests in Link to the Past. And it, it works well for the kind of game it's trying to be. Yep. They're side quests in the most gen- generous possible definition. <laughs> like, seriously. There there are some like character moments that I'm excited to get into later in the season in this section. Yeah. Um, but for now it's it's mostly kind of humdrum. Let's get on to uh part five, which is Z targeting, where we lock on to fascinating characters or enemies that we happen to cross. I'm gonna go ahead and lead off here. Um I do enjoy the uh the dark world people that you meet when you get there for yeah. the first time. Um Mr. I guess impure of heart who turns into a monster and is kind of like kicking Kirby around up on the mountain. 
Um, <laughs> I would I would love to know their story. I would love to know what brought them to that terrible place. I mean, we keep getting hints about people who were like seeking the golden power and they get lost in the dark world forever or whatnot. And I guess these guys fall under that umbrella. Uh, yeah, you know, they're 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 certainly there. They're definitely uh, they're characters that I can only describe as um, seeming like they came out of Link's Awakening, and I mean that as a compliment. Yeah, that's fair. Um, I'm going to go next because the literal only character I encountered in this entire section outside of those two guys was the old man. So I'm going to bottom line have to pick him because, uh, yeah, he he seems pretty dope. He also has some interesting little uh, hints and uh, little story arcs to throw around there. His uh, granddaughter, I think, being one of the spirit maidens and telling us that he believes they're still alive. That whole thing about, I think a hero is going to come save them. Link should have been like, yeah, bro, that's me. Help me out. <laughs> says, I am um, he. I am he. But uh, yeah, no, he's pretty cool dude. He's uh, the classic old man trope, which I, I believe recurs in a lot of Zelda games, is the old man that helps you on your quest in some way, shape, or form. So yeah. 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 This dude. Uh, I will mention my main man, Sahasrala. Uh, <laughs> not really. He's not that interesting here. He talks to you once when you talk on the telep- telepathy hint stone. But uh, the the lost lost old man on the mountain. That's if you look at like Zelda wikis, that's the only name he has is lost old man. There's there's three old men that are all descendants of the wise men. Uh, Agana in the desert, Sahasrala, and lost old man on the mountain. Um, and uh oh side note in the japanese version the the term that was used for uh wise men was a non-gendered term and it was the same as the term used for sages in ocarina of time Ah, Uh, Ah. so uh, in in the purest possible interpretation there is no canon disagreement on that point right exactly cool um Dan, Dan Alson, he was the little the translator for Link to the Past, Link's Awakening, and Ocarina of Time. Didn't have that context back then. Like they didn't really. Uh, he apparently spent like six weeks translating the game, just like head down at a desk in Japan, um, for Ocarina of Time. And prior to that, he was just like given scripts without a lot of context, like through documents uh so he just kind of like he a lot of what we think about in the west as like the story of link to the past and like the the story of the instruction manual stuff has stuff that he created um he's as much of a writer for this game as the actual writers were functionally um anyways the reason i was talking about the old man in the mountain is because this is one of those few times where you get a hint of stakes in the quest right like a lot of times the characters are kind of, they don't have personalities. They don't have cares. They don't really seem affected by much. Um, and this is a guy who's like, Oh, your granddaughter is gone. You have a personal stake in this shit. Anyways, that's, that's what, that's what I got. Yeah, no, <laughs> that's a much better, that's a much better explanation than the one I gave. So there you go. We'll, and, we'll go with it. And I mean, those, me- those moments are few and far between in this game, honestly, like, uh, and so it definitely was appreciated here. Um, that's very interesting. What you were saying about the translation, the localization from Japanese to, uh, to English. Um, and it's so weird because it's like so enduring at this point, right? Like to us, that's just Canon wise men versus sages um to the point where like it became 
you know, a thing that we were talking a decent amount about in the first episode of this season, you know, it was like, oh, well, but, but, but you can also kind of explain that away, right? Like it's the legend of Zelda. This is all legend, right? So right. elements kind of like get changed from version to version. So I, I think in the GBA version, they retranslated it to sages. Okay. Um, cool. It's been a while since I played that version, so I might be wrong, but I well, Lyndon made an incorrect assumption about the GBA version in our first episode saying that Link's hair was not pink in the GBA version. And we've been corrected many times on our Twitter regarding that. <laughs> yeah. So Lyndon, you were wrong. Yeah, I was. Be Max, careful with those factual statements. Yeah, I know what is, what, what I did say that is true though, is the swapping of the sound effect. It's the, Minish cap uh sword swipe sound effect now. Yeah, which is bad. Uh but also, you know, correcting to sages, that's that's kind of a cool change. You know, it definitely l- helps things line up a little bit more cleanly with Ocarina of Time and the story that goes on there. Uh let's go ahead and move on to part six, which is our final thoughts where we wrap up the section of the game as succinctly as possible. Matt, this is you. Take it away. <clears throat> I think this section of game, while short, like last week's section, was also a good stepping stone to get us on the road to where we need to be going. Um, It was a brief but uh, impactful introduction into the dark world, which we will explore at a greater length um, in the future. Um, But ultimately, uh, with a moderate dungeon and a less than uh, stellar story beat, uh, remains a solid remains solidly in the camp of prelog uh work that i think is just leading us into the main body of the game prologue work prologue yeah prologue work yeah uh which was leading us into the main body of the game cool yeah fair enough absolutely fair enough guys this has been the sacred realms recap we will of course be back next week with another installment of the sacred realms recap a slightly longer one uh that one will be incorporating both the uh claiming the master sword uh facing agonim and hyrule castle and also our first dungeon in the dark world which will be the dark palace so a little bit oh, more you're gonna do all that at once yeah because if we, if we didn't then we would be like pushing this season into like mid-february and i didn't feel like hyrule castle and agonim could sustain an episode on its own so i don't know yeah kind of where i'm at uh <laughs> so yeah we'll be back with that next week before we get out of here for today max i have a question for you real quick last week we posed this question to cody and we said hey cody <laughs> what do you consider to be the mount rushmore of zelda games and uh his answer aligned very much with my own personal answer so i'm gonna bounce it over to you now though and find out where you land with it well, I prefer the term uh, Hokage Rock. Uh, that's the real rock faces on the mountain reference for me. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I heard the I heard the episode, and I actually largely concur. Um, for me, like if I were to pick, what was it four? Yeah. Um, I, I mean, Zelda one, of course. Uh, my criteria is basically like, was this groundbreaking? Does this affect future games, either in the series or in general? So, like Zelda one is huge. Um, Ocarina of Time second most influential probably uh i'm gonna say breath of the wild it hasn't we haven't actually seen that in future zelda games yet but we've already seen a number of open world games taking huge learnings from breath of the wild such as like genshin impact and uh what was the what was the ubisoft one with like the greek uh hero odyssey assassin's creed odyssey uh 
No, no, it was a like cartoony oh, cel shaded oh, thing. Oh, oh, oh. I forget the name of it. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It was it was good. It I took know, some I know cues. What you mean. I know what you mean. Um, and like a few others. So like I think Breath of the Wild is a sea change for open world games. Uh, and the fourth one, I think I would pick Link to the Past. Um, that one's a little bit more tenuous than me for than the other three, but uh, I think Link to the Link to the Past had a huge impact on like what is a adventure game. Um, in the 16-bit like SNES era, the early 90s, uh, it set the tone in a lot of ways, and it obviously like there's a l- so many things that later became defining things for the Zelda series that started in Link to the Past. Uh, whether it's musical themes, the fact that there's three Triforce pieces, the way dungeons work, the hook shot, cuckoos, uh, you know, three sages or that's three sages, all the sages or collect three items to get the master sword, the master sword itself, like all these things started in link to the past. So if you, so you say it's kind of tenuous though. If you remove a link to the past from the conversation, what is the backup? Oh boy. Um, after that, uh, I, I view, I view a lot of the post Wind Waker 3D Zelda. So Twilight Princess, Skyward Sword. Um, I guess those are the only two. But like those two games feel like they're they're thrashing to me. Like they're trying to figure out what the Zelda series should be. Um, and I think they're influential in as much as like they allowed them to check off ideas. They're like, okay, this didn't work. This didn't work. This didn't work. Uh, <laughs> yeah. They would be influential in that way. Um, okay. Sorry, Skyward Sword lovers. <laughs> no, I mean, it's it's a fair criticism in its own right. Like, it's definitely... Oh. It, it, I think it's the same way that... I mean, I feel like Breath of the Wild is the same way in a, in a lot of ways. Is it's 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 Zelda trying to figure out where it's trying to go in the future. What I think and the difference is, luckily, though, no, and I'm getting there. I think for Nintendo, Breath of the Wild landed way better than Skyward Sword did for yeah. a larger percent of the population. Yeah, yeah. I think Skyward I Sword. Back, is, though, I would say Link's Awakening. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. I well because you've got all the learnings that you took from Link to the Past and refined them, right? So yeah. it becomes a top-down game that's got what we consider to be modern dungeon sensibilities. So that's fair. Uh, when it comes to Skyward Sword, I think that game is always destined to be considered somewhat of a novelty, honestly, at this point. like, I think there is a large generation of Zelda fans, maybe two now because of the remake, that love it. Um, and they just have different tastes than the Zelda fans like me who prefer Breath of the Wild or whatever. Yeah. Um, when you invite Cody back to have the six hour argument over if whether Breath of the Wild is a real Zelda game, um, <laughs> I would also come to that argument. Oh, God. <laughs> well, I think we'll probably be in a position to have that discussion sooner rather than later. So there's a little tease for everybody listening, but also we do intend to like really have it out. And maybe we will just make that a round table. Like all of our bonus episodes for that season will be just that discussion. And we just like slice it into fourths. <laughs> oh God. Jeez. <laughs> uh, I mean, God, that's going to be man. Tell you what breath of the wild. That's going to be a season of this show. Like we're going to really have some opinions kind of happening. You don't cover all of it before then. <laughs> Well, I mean, God, could you even though? I mean, like, geez. 
I feel like I was thinking about today, like when we do the Sacred Realms rundown, because it's going to have to be different for Breath of the Wild. I was like, so we're going to have to replace like uh, the dungeon map. Right. And I was like, oh, we'll replace that with like, what did someone figure out how to do in Breath of the Wild this week? You know, like oh, that game is insane. So. Jeez. That's all coming in the future. Anywho, uh, that does conclude the the actual main discussion of this episode. Max, seriously, thank you so much for coming back on, man. Um, we always yeah. love having you around to like lend some actual perspective, um, some knowledgeable perspective to these discussions. Um, it's it's always a great time having you. I always have a blast. So you know, keep inviting me, and I'll keep coming. Uh, don't sell yourself short. I've said this before. You're now a foremost expert in the Zelda series, as far as I'm concerned. You've <laughs> with this podcast, uh, so you two are good too. Well, I appreciate that very much. We're definitely, you know, if nothing else, trying to acquire a more informed perspective, and I feel like in that we are succeeding uh, unequivocally. I, I don't think anyone could argue against the fact that we're kind of making some gains there. That right, Matt? <laughs> I would absolutely agree. Cool. Cool. That shall only continue as we go forward from here. Uh, that will, of course, continue next week as we get into Link's Awakening. No, not that one. Not that one. I, I've been doing that so much, though. Like, every time I want to say a Link to the Past, I say Link's Awakening. It's because, like, the, the games feel so similar, but Link's Awakening was the one that I discovered first and the one that, like, truly has my heart. So I just kind of default to it. It's it's weird that they both, like, have these similar Link names in English. Yeah. Uh, in Japanese, Link to the Past is called Triforce of the Gods, and Link's Awakening is called Dreaming Isle. Dang, seriously? Uh, yep. Wow. I feel like the Japanese version of Link's Awakening is like a huge spoiler just in the name. <laughs> that's that's true. Uh, but yeah, Triforce of the Gods. I did know that one. I knew that because when I was designing my poster, that the screen print that I did, um, I originally had a regular version and a variant, and the regular was going to be in English. The variant was going to be in Japanese. And so I was like trying to like I was running into some weird translation issues between the two. And then I finally figured out why that was because like the Japanese version has a different name. Um, and the final version of the poster only has Japanese and it has both Triforce of the Gods in kanji and a link to the past as a subtitle in English. So I guess I'm kind of contradictory there, but whatever I'm trying to please everyone over here. <laughs> All right. Max, we will catch up with you before too long. Like I said, Max will be back later in the season. So look forward to that. And in the meantime, we wish nothing but success for you, Max. You're a gentleman. Thank you so much. All righty. Matt, you ready to get out of here for this week? I am ready, Lyndon. Cool. It's almost turkey day. It's almost turkey day. Tomorrow we're going to stuff our faces with much, much food. Um, of course, uh, as of the time that you guys will be listening to this, it, it will be past. But tomorrow is Thanksgiving in the U.S. of A. And we do take Thanksgiving rather seriously over here. So hoping that all of you who listen to this show had a wonderful Thanksgiving surrounded by people who appreciate you and make you feel loved and included. That is all that anyone can hope for on Thanksgiving. So warmest wishes to all of you guys. We love you. Okay. 
Dookie. If you enjoyed today's show and you would like a little extra Sacred Realms in your life, you can head over to patreon.com slash sacredrealmspod and you can become a patron. If you've got no rupees, it's not a problem. Five-star Apple podcast reviews are a great free way to support us. More reviews means that more people see our show. That makes us very happy, Hylians. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at sacredrealmspod for updates on the podcast and for behind-the-scenes action. Sacred Realms will be back next Wednesday with our thoughts on... A Link to the Past, Chapter 4, covering Hyrule Castle, acquiring the Master Sword, the Dark Palace, all that. A Link to the Past can be played on a variety of Nintendo eShops, 3DS, Wii U, uh, several of those. Um, In addition to its original form, uh, cartridge-based on the Super Nintendo, should you still have one of those, and assuming it still works, good on you. Uh, Also, the... um, the Super Nintendo Mini that Nintendo released a few years ago has got this game. And the easiest way, of course, will continue to be on the Nintendo Switch online subscription service, which is how we are playing it. Um, tons of people have Switches, so just play it that way. Or Game Boy Advance. You've got the Game Boy Advance cartridge lying around. They've released this <laughs> game a ton of times. Anywho, talk about that Nintendo tax. I wonder how many times I've paid for A Link to the Past at this point. Whew. <laughs> Some things are best. You not. can also play it on Super Famicom in Japanese. Oh, gosh. Hey, that Super Famicom has got way better looking controller buttons than the Super Nintendo. Like I'm nostalgically partial to the to the dual tone purple of the Super Nintendo. But the Super Famicom, that's just a great looking console. Ugh, man, that's a man. Localization. It was truly a different time. Anywho. <laughs> Uh, we would love for you to, uh, as said before, play along with us and share your thoughts on our social channels. We encourage the discussion. We've gotten a lot of great discussion points around this season and all seasons past. So please keep that coming. In the meantime, may your hearts be full. May your arrows never miss. We will catch you guys next week. Sacred Realms is an independent podcast production, which is produced, edited, and mixed by me, Lyndon Willoughby. Our music comes from Zelda and Chill by Mikkel and is graciously provided to us by Mikkel and Game Chops Records. Zelda and Chill is available to stream on Spotify or to purchase directly from GameChops.com. Finally, our thanks go to Nintendo for creating such exceptional and innovative experiences.